Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. And uh, we are in a series called James, hence the book of the Bible that we are in today. And um, while you're settling in and getting all situated and finding James, I want to ask you a question. You don't need to answer this out loud, but the question that I want to, for you to think about is, what is the dumbest thing that you've ever done in your life? I didn't say, what's the dumbest thing your spouse has ever done, or your kids have ever done, or your friends have ever done, because we're very quick to want to answer that, right? But what's the dumbest thing that you have ever done in your life? If you're like me, it probably didn't take long to think of a couple of things. Uh, maybe even just this morning, you're like, I got a few things that we could talk about. But uh, for me this week, I thought about that and I was like, well, what am I going to share? Because I have a long list. And as we get to know each other more, you'll probably hear a lot of those dumb things. But um, one of the things I want to share with you was high school Nate. You know, you got we got to go way back to high school Nate. I went to high school in the early 2000s and... Um, High school Nate had bleach blonde tips. He was a uh, varsity basketball player, you know, and uh, very well could have been on the ba- Backstreet Boys. Like that is just, but they couldn't afford me. I was a little, I was a little too much for them. But, uh, you know, like I, I, had the, I had the tips, I had the look and all this kind of stuff. And, and I had this friend and we had this kid in our school who was always just so annoying to us. He would just kind of get on our nerves, get under our skin, say things, do things. And we were just like, what are we going to do? We got to like show this kid. We got to prove a point. Like, what do we got to do? We got to put this kid in, in place. And so being teenagers and not knowing what to do, we came up with the only solution that we knew what to do. And that was we were going to egg this kid's house. Now, I don't condone egging. I think that you shouldn't do it. That's not even the not wise part. Like, I get it. It's not wise. Like, this story will continue. And so uh, I don't condone it. And I've had my house egged. I've egged other people's houses. Listen, don't do it, all right? It's not a wise thing to do. But if you do do it, you must be rich because eggs cost like 50 bucks right now, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but, but we, my friend and I, we decided, well, we're just going to drive to the gas station. We've got to prove a point to this kid. So we drive to the gas station, we get a dozen eggs, and we're driving up to his house, and so I roll down the window, you know, and I sit on the passenger door, and I've got my eggs in hand, and I'm ready to just go as we're slowly approaching the house. Well, while we're slowly approaching the house, I notice they're in their garage. What are they doing in their garage right now? It looks like they're cleaning out their garage. And in my mind, I'm going, we should abort this mission. This is not something that we should be doing, but... Instead, my friend says, fire, 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 and I just start letting it go. All sense just leaves my mind. And so I start throwing the eggs. It's hitting the driveway. It's hitting the house. In New Mexico, like you have yards like this big, and they're just full of rocks. And so it's hitting the rocks. It's hitting the trees, the cactus, all this kind of stuff. And we speed off. And I was like, dude, I think they, they're out there. I think they might have saw us. And he was like, yeah, they did see us. I see them in my rearview mirror right now. And I'm going, well, that's real great. Now, the dumb part about this and where I wish I could have had a little more wisdom was the fact that we egged this guy's house in broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon. Like, who does that? (laughs) You need the cover of darkness, right? Like, that's just kind of egging 101 that we didn't understand at that time. And so it's a little awkward the next day when you show up Monday morning. It's like, why'd you egg my house? 
it wasn't me. You know, like I didn't do it. It must be somebody that looks like me. It's an imposter. You know, like just move on, you know, but but I could have used some wisdom in that moment. I could have used to be, to be a little bit wiser in that. And I think we all have stories or times in our life where we're like, man, I could have used a little bit more wisdom. America's Funniest Home Videos. The reason why it's so popular and it's so funny is because we like to watch people do dumb things. The reason why Dumb and Dumber is such an iconic movie that every generation loves to laugh at is because we like it when people do foolish things. Now, what does all this have to do with the book of James? Well, today, James is going to be talking about wisdom and how wisdom will help us live well and how wisdom will help us honor God with our lives. Really, what James is going to be encouraging us with today is how we can have wisdom even in the midst of our trials. See, I think most of us would say, man, uh, you know, when, when we're going through a difficult time, when we're going through a trial, we're like, man, how can I get out of this? What, what can I do? How am I going to survive in these times? And it's in those times when we're walking through a trial, how we're going to have wisdom that James is going to speak into today. James is a super practical book. We said this last week that some of the truths found in James are very easy for us to understand, but very hard for us to live out. In fact, James has been called the New Testament version of Proverbs, that it's Proverbs dressed up in New Testament clothes, that James has all these words of wisdom for us, some of them connected, some of them disconnected, but James has all these ideas of wisdom for us in the New Testament. In fact, these five chapters uh, for us as believers is just full of wisdom. And really this letter and the whole book of the Bible is just a really honest book, Right? I mean, we talked about it last week. If you missed last weekend's message, I would encourage you to check it online. You can watch that. But just as a way of review here, last week, James just is like, okay, let's just get right at it. Guess what? You're going to suffer trials. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through moments of your life that are going to be painful. And he's like, all you have to do is just live long enough, love people long enough. And we all know this to be true. There will be seasons of your life where you will have pain, problems, heartaches, heartbreaks. James is like, hey, everybody is going to suffer. And you have a choice in in your trial. Will you let it grow you? See, not everybody grows through suffering. I think we all know people who've gone through some things in their life. And they didn't grow better. They grew bitter. But then on the reverse side, we all know some people, they went through some things. They went through some hardships. They went through some trials in their life. Maybe it was with their marriage. Maybe it was with their family. Maybe it was financially. Like they went through some hardships in their life and and they grew better because of it. They went through some difficulties. It matured them. It completed them, like James said last week. It made them more trusting and loving of the Lord than they ever would have been if they didn't go through that trial. And so James, what he was telling us is that trials wake us up to the fact that we are in control. And this week, what James is going to say is that trials do wake us up for our need for wisdom. And so today we're going to be talking all about wisdom. The title of today's message is Wisdom to Live Life Well. Wisdom to Live Life Well. We all need wisdom to live life well. Let's think about it this week and even just super practically We need a lot of married couples, their first year of marriage, they need wisdom. I mean, you've got two imperfect people trying to live together, trying to figure it out, and they need wisdom. 
Because sometimes that first year of marriage, man, they're fighting, they're arguing, and they can look at everything going on in their life and they're like, man, we did the premarital counseling, we read all the books, we got married by a pastor, we got married in a church. Like on the outside, it looks like we did everything right. But they're realizing something, they're struggling, they're arguing, there's tension in their relationship, and they realize something. They realize, I don't know how this marriage relationship works. Think about parenting for just a minute. Like we all knew something about parenting until we had kids, right? Like I, I look at some parents and I, before I had kids, and I was like, I think I could do a better job than that. Like, but then I had kids. <laughs> we all think we know something about parenting until our kids turn about three. And we watch our kids grow up and they're growing and they're doing things. And we're like, I don't know if we should do that. We're seeing the choices they're making and the decisions that they have. And we're like, I don't know about this. And we're trying to guide them. And and every parent says this, I don't know what I'm doing. And God is like, great, I can help. It's in those moments that we recognize our lack of wisdom. And we have this opportunity to surrender to God and trust in him. And so the things that we need in all areas of our life but especially when we're going through a trial, is wisdom. Trials tend to wake us up for our need-to-know, need-to-grow moments. And so let's look and see what James has to say. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded, unstable in all his ways. Verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 4, James ends with this idea of complete, mature, lacking in nothing. And then he kind of ties that idea of lacking in nothing because he says, but if you happen to lack something, it's wisdom. I think what he's saying is like, in a way, until we get to heaven, we're all going to lack something. We all still are not perfected. And so until we get to heaven, we are going to lack stuff. And the thing that we're going to lack is wisdom. We need wisdom in our trials. In fact, we can see wisdom all throughout the pages of scripture. We can highlight verses on wisdom. We can memorize verses on wisdom. In fact, there's a whole section in the Old Testament called the books of wisdom. We need wisdom when it comes to in our lives. And so what I want to do before we dive into our text and find out what James would say to us about wisdom is I want to define what wisdom is. Because if we're going to really understand what James is talking about, then we all got to be on the same page. Because if we don't understand what James is talking about when it comes to wisdom, then we're going to read these verses in the wrong way. And so what I want to do is is before we get into it is kind of define what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is not just insight. Wisdom is not just simply intellect. Wisdom is not just having more knowledge than other people. What James is writing about here is something much more than just a mental ability. What James is wanting us to see is that wisdom has a spiritual dimension to it. This word wisdom that James uses here is a word that speaks to divine wisdom. 
that, that wisdom comes from God and has to do with everything with our relationship with God. So I'm going to give you an example of what these people would have heard, and then we're going to have a definition to kind of define what wisdom is. Wisdom is the knowledge and practice of what is needed to live in a godly manner. It's the knowledge and practice of what is needed to live in a godly manner. And James is saying here that this wisdom that we need will honor God in the midst of trials. Now, again, remember who James is writing this to. He's writing this to Christians, and they're dispersed, and they're going through various trials. They're all going through something. And so when these people, hearing this word wisdom, their minds would have immediately went to the Old Testament because they don't have the full counsel of God's word. They don't have the New Testament. They, don't, they only had the Old Testament. And so, in fact, James is, is thought by some commentators to be one of the earliest letters ever written to the church, to the Christians. That's why it's so fundamental, so practical, not a lot of theology in it, because he's dealing with very surface level things in people's lives. And so when these Christians, they would have heard that word wisdom, their minds would have immediately went to the Old Testament because it, it carried this idea of skill or ability or quality to it. It refers to the practical. How do I make decisions about my life and apply them well? For example, when they heard this word wisdom, they thought, well, a wise rabbi, man, there's quality in his teachings. A wise carpenter, there's quality to his work. A wise parent, there's quality in their parenting. And so a definition for us as we work through what James is going to talk about is that wisdom is the understanding of how to practically live in a godly manner. That's the definition James wants us to have in mind when he's talking about these trials and that wisdom. We need wisdom from God in order to live in the midst of our trials so that we can honor God. And so with that definition in mind, let's look and see how James talks about wisdom, how he breaks this apart for us. And the first thing is that wisdom comes from God when we ask. Wisdom comes from God when we ask. Look at what he says, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I think when it comes to wisdom, many of us feel like, well, do we need to work up a certain feeling? You know, do, do I need to feel something when, I, when I'm needing ask, uh, wisdom? Do I need to pray a certain amount of time? Do I need to say the right words, have the right formula? You know, is there a secret to unlocking this wisdom from God? And James is like, listen, if you're lacking wisdom, ask God. He doesn't say, hey, go ask your pastor. He doesn't say, go ask your small group leader or go do a Google search, you know. He doesn't say, go seek a book or, or sit and mull it over in your own mind until you can come up with your own solutions to how to get through your trial. He says, if you find yourself in a trial and you're like, I lack wisdom, he says, ask God, go to him for it. In fact, in the Old Testament, it reminds me of a story of a king named Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat, he sees this huge army ready to kick him and his people out of their land. And he's looking at this and he goes, that army's way too big. My army's way too small. And he says this, he's like, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. And then he says this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. That's largely what makes up a trial. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to do. And so when you find yourself in a trial, when you're overcome by a trial, James says, the answer for us is to ask God for wisdom. Ask him how to walk through this trial in a way that honors him. 
What's really cool about this promise for wisdom is that it's for any believer who lacks it. You can have this wisdom just as much as anybody else can have this wisdom. Notice it doesn't have any caveats. It doesn't say, well, if you're a pastor, well, then you can ask for wisdom. It doesn't say, well, if you've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years, then you can have God's retirement package of wisdom for your life. It's not what it says. It says that any believer, anyone who lacks it can have it. But then here's what's cool about this promise, or about this verse, is that there's a promise with it. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's our second idea, our second thought from James here, and that is that wisdom is a gift from God. Wisdom is a gift from God. Those two words, look at them. It says generously and without reproach. Those are two interesting words to describe how God gives out wisdom. See, wisdom isn't something that we just download from God like he's some computer in the sky like he's iCloud and I, I, I find myself in a crisis, in a trial, in a situation. I'm like, okay, God, would you download some wisdom to me? And then once we get it, we run away. That's not how it works. It's about a relationship. God is a relational God. So it's not that we just go to God when we need something and then we run away. It's about that we walk. It's about we talk. It's about being in a daily relationship where you gain wisdom. God is looking at your life, looking at your situations, and God's not thinking about, well, maybe this is what's best for your life. No, God knows what's best for your life. And the wisdom from God helps us count it all joy to rejoice in the midst of our trials because we understand how to live in a way that honors him. God is always ready to give us wisdom. Wisdom is a gift from God. It means there's never a moment There's never a circumstance. There's never a situation in your life where God's not waiting to pour out wisdom into your life. I think sometimes we have this idea when it comes to God's wisdom that it's this game of hide and seek that God is trying to play with us. I think quite honestly, sometimes we think when when we're wanting things from God, I think sometimes we think that God is just always playing some divine game with us. But when it comes to wisdom, I think we're like, man, God's just playing hide and seek. Like he's over here and he's hiding behind a rock and he's like, is anybody going to see me? And then as we kind of get close, he like jumps over here and he's like, all right, I'm going to hide behind this rock now. And and we're constantly seeking and searching out God's wisdom and looking. And when we finally find it, he goes, all right, here's a little wisdom. And then he runs away and hides behind another rock again. But that's not how it works. What the text implies here is that God is right here. He's waiting for you to approach him when you need wisdom. And when you do approach him, the idea here is that we approach him uh, humbly, but we approach him confidently, knowing that he's going to give us this wisdom. And we ask in faith, going, God, you say, if I lack it, I could come to you and I can ask you for this wisdom and you're going to give me the wisdom that I need. And when we do that, going to him in faith, humbly, but, but knowing that he's going to do this, God will pour out this barrel of wisdom over your life. So it's not only that God gives it generously, but James also says he gives it without reproach. So when we come to God in faith, asking for wisdom, God will pour it over us, but he won't belittle us and he won't put us down. God is the God of the open hand. See, we can all wear each other out you know, with our problems, our trials, and what we're going through. It feels like sometimes we're just spinning the same thing over and over and over again, and sometimes it can be exhausting. We're like, this again, you know? 
And it's because we're human. We wear out. But that's not the case with God. There will never come a time in your life where God's like, hey, I gave you a head. Why don't you use it? There's not going to be a time in your life where God's like, man, I wish you would have asked earlier, but I can't help you now. Or man, I wish, you know, you should have done what I told you to do the last time. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here asking me right now. He never listens to your prayer and goes, "Uh uh-uh, wrong prayer, wrong formula. You didn't say all the right words. No, it's not how it works. If we come confidently and humbly believing in faith for this wisdom that God will give us, his response is, I'm so glad that you asked. All God wants is that you ask and that you believe in his willingness to give you that wisdom. So you might be thinking, well, how do I know that I've received this wisdom from God? You know, like, will I hear a voice? Will God speak to me in a dream? You know, do I just have to sit quietly for about an hour and just kind of maybe try to hear voices in my head? James doesn't tell us how this will happen, but he tells us that this will happen in our lives. It will be given to you from God. But if you want to have wisdom in the midst of your trials, there's some things that you can be doing right now that when a trial hits, you can be prepared. You can have the wisdom of God in your life. And those three things are a wise person is rooted in God's word. A wise person is a person of prayer. And a wise person is someone who surrounds themselves with God's people. Now, I get it. You're like, that's not earth-shattering news. Like, you already knew that. But sometimes when we're going through trials, when we're going through hard times, it's not new information that we need. It's that we just need to be reminded of the things that we already know. And so when we do those things, uh, that allows God to speak into our lives when we're going through a trial. A person is in God's word. Uh, you will never know God's wisdom if you're not consistently sitting at his feet, consuming his word. You can't just live your life however you want to, do whatever it is you want to do. And when a moment of crisis hits your life, be like, God, let me microwave some of your wisdom into my life. That's not how it works. We need to daily be consuming God's word. Now, we live in a very consumer culture. We're constantly consuming things. And we don't know how those things are shaping us or forming us. I mean, think about it. We all watch, binge watch uh, three seasons of some show in about three days. But how is that forming us? How is that shaping us? You know, we mindlessly on Instagram scroll through our friends' highlights reels. But we don't know how that's forming us or shaping us. We're constantly just seeing some of the worst news in the world 24-7. But how is that forming us and shaping us? As God's people, we should be shaped and formed by his word. You can't claim the promise of God's wisdom in your life when you want it if you're not in his word. You have to have a regular posture of seeking wisdom from God. You don't know where to start? We've got these bookmarks right on your chair. It's our Bible reading plan. Don't know where to start? Start there. You download the YouVersion Bible app. There's a lot of reading plans on there. I feel like this is too structured for me. All right, we'll just start picking it up and reading it, all right? You got to start reading God's word. You got to start consuming his word. But a wise person is also a person of prayer. Prayer makes us God conscious. Basically, prayer is you agreeing with God. 
Prayer is communication with God where you are speaking to him, but you also need to listen to him. I mean, think about in our own relationships. Like if I'm the only one ever speaking and ever talking and all of that, like that's not super helpful. Sometimes we need to stop and listen to what the Holy Spirit would speak to us. But let me tell you, because there's a warning in that. The Holy Spirit of God will not speak to you in a way that is contradictory to his word. I've heard many people before go, oh man, the Lord, he's just leading me in this direction, in this way. And it's in direct conflict with his word. The Holy Spirit of God will not lead you somewhere else. He doesn't contradict himself. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God leads you to all truth, but it will not contradict himself. He will not contradict himself. So not only does a wise person seek wisdom through his word or seek wisdom through prayer, but a wise person builds relationships with the people of God. I'm intentional in my own life in creating relationships where people are encouraging me and speaking into my life, and I have people that I'm speaking into their life and encouraging them as well. We all need it. In fact, I love what Proverbs 12, 15 says. It says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. God speaks through his people. See, all of us, we should have these things in place. We should have all three of these things, uh, reading God's word, praying, having people in our life. We should have all of these things in place in our life before a trial hits. Because when a trial hits, we'll need those things. When I think back on my life, I think about all the decisions that I've ever made in my life. Some, some of the, the worst decisions that I've made in my life have been because I haven't been in God's word, haven't been in prayer, and haven't been seeking the counsel of other people. I've kind of just made it in a vacuum. I'm the only one making the decisions. I could have used some wisdom before egging somebody's house, right? We all need wisdom in our lives. We all need to make sure that we're doing these things, not making decisions in vacuums. When we are in the posture of consistently seeking God's wisdom, we can claim the truth and the promise that God gives wisdom generously and without reproach. But then there's a warning. James starts to warn us here, and it shows up in verse 6. It says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here's our last thought for today, and that is that wisdom from God cannot be optional. Wisdom from God cannot be optional. And all the generousness that we've talked about when it comes to God and giving us wisdom, it's interesting that verses 6 through 8 follow that. See, verse 5, it tells us about the sincerity of God who desires to progress us into maturity and will not hold back anything from us if we lack wisdom. But then verses 6 through 8 raise this question of our sincerity. Do we want to go forward with God? Are we really committed to his way of seeing things, his desire for our future? Are we keeping a door open for the world with one foot in the world and one foot in the other camp and with Jesus? James is telling us to ask in faith with no doubting. Faith is coming to God in complete confidence, knowing that he will mature us and complete us through the midst of our trial, trusting that his direction is the best way to live. 
Doubt says God's way isn't the best way. It's too hard. It'll cost too much. It's too painful. Let me live life the way I want to on my own. James is telling us, hey, get off the fence. Stop doubting. That word doubting in the Greek can mean to be in strife or to be in a fight with yourself. We could say it this way. We could say, well, I'm asking for God's wisdom, but I'm not really sure that I want to live the way that he wants me to live. I'm not sure that I want to go through this trial the way that he wants me to go. And James uses this metaphor here, and he talks about how we're like a wave. And what does a wave do? Here it represents two things. It it represents instability, and it uh, represents restlessness. And when you think about a wave, what does a wave do? It goes back and forth. It goes up and down. And James is like, when you go to God and you're like, God, I know this verse. I believe this verse. I believe in this promise that you'll give wisdom generously, that you'll give it without reproach. But I'm not really sure if you will. James is like, you are like a wave. You are a double-minded man. In fact, that word double-minded, James coined, is the first time that it appeared. I read, it was the first time it appeared in in the Greek. And the word double-minded means divided heart or divided soul. And so James is giving us a warning by saying in the midst of the trials, if we treat God's wisdom like it's one of many options, that's not good. We don't need to be doing that. That in the midst of our trials, we're like, God, I'm going through this and I don't know what to do. Would you tell me what to do? And God gives us that wisdom, but we're like, well, maybe I'll check out what Google has to say or I'll read some books like the top selling books or you know, I'll sit here and I'll try to figure out my own way of doing this and, and come up with my own solution. If we treat God's wisdom like it's one of many options and we pursue whatever it is we want to, James is like, hey, you are like a wave. You are a double-minded person. If you want God to answer your prayer of wisdom, you have to be willing to do things his way. You can't make his wisdom optional. You can't go in doubting. You can't go in half-heartedly. You have to be all in. Wisdom from God cannot be an option. And then James kind of closes out what he's talking about here. And what on the surface seems a little odd. Seems a little strange when you first read it. Like it doesn't make, why, why is he talking about the rich and the poor all of a sudden and the flowers and the sun? Like what, what is just happening? Did, did James just have a moment of like ADD and he just started like thinking like that's kind of what it feels like because on the surface it's a little strange. But I think what James is trying to remind us about is that we don't put so much emphasis on the things of this world. That when we go through a trial, it shouldn't be, what do I have in this world that we hold on to? But it's that we hold on to the wisdom of God. In fact, look at what he says in verse 9. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers, or its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Again, James is writing this to all kinds of believers. They're dispersed everywhere. And I read this week that they were of different incomes. Like some of them were really poor. Some of them were really rich. And so he's writing with all that context in his mind. And what he's ultimately getting at is, hey, the poor person boasts because they receive directly from God. They have nothing. They have no accolades. They have no money. They have nothing to their name. There is nothing that would indicate that they are of worth. But God sees them. God loves them. And God gives them wisdom just as he would anyone else. 
But then he's like, hey, there's the rich. And he says, they have everything. They should be able to make things work. They shouldn't face trials. They shouldn't have problems because it looks like on the outside, they have everything. But he's like, they do. And they need to turn from everything that this world is telling them. Hey, do these things. Hold on to these truths to get through a trial. And what he's saying is that the rich need to humble themselves and receive God's wisdom in the midst of their trial. See, the world views wealth and power as wisdom. You must be living a skilled life. You must be living a quality life if you have money. But God says wisdom, that kind of wisdom, is foolishness. The person who trusts in riches must humble themselves and submit to God and submit to God's instruction on wise living. If we're too focused on this world rather than the world to come, we miss out on the wisdom of God. The riches of this world will fade away. And James tells us the rich man will also fade away. If we put our life and our identity into the things of this world that will fade away, we will all fade away as well. The warning is to set aside worldly wisdom that will fade away and seek God's wisdom, God's way of life, and that will continue for all of eternity. See, ultimately what James is trying to show us in these verses is a life of surrender. Are you going to do what God tells you to do, regardless of how painful it might feel in the short term, no matter how much it'll cost, trusting that God's going to get you through the trial, and you're not going to just get back to life as normal. You'll get to a life that looks and, and is and, and will live more like him, that we can trust that he's going to take our trial, that we might be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Again, oftentimes in trials, we don't need new knowledge, new information, but what we need is things that we already know and be reminded to do those things. So there are things in his word that he's told us about. There are things that we've learned on Sunday at church that we can apply to our lives. There are people who have walked through some very difficult, trying times, other believers, and we can go, man, they had wisdom to walk through that. How can I apply that to my life? It's not new knowledge that we need. It's that we need to be reminded to do the same things again in our life. This week I, I was talking with um, Pastor Devin. See, the, the reality is I realized something else. We have too many pastors with D names. Pastor Devon, Pastor Dennis, Pastor Devin. So it's very complicated. So we need to diversify a little bit, I guess. But so I realized a couple of things. I was talking with Pastor, I realized that, but then I also uh, realized something else by, with talking with Pastor Devin about this. Is that isn't Jesus wisdom personified? Isn't Jesus uh, the uh, embodied wisdom? You know, Jesus, uh, it says that he is a God in human flesh. He experienced things that we experienced. He went through things that we went through. He felt the things that he felt. You know, I love that the fact that we weep, it says that Jesus also wept. So Jesus experienced a lot of the same things that we've experienced. And when you think about his life, in a way, he experienced trials at all stages of his life. From the time he was born until the time that he died. If you think about the time he was born, what did Herod say? Hey, you need to kill all the firstborn baby boys because he was fearful of Jesus. In Jesus's ministry, these political and religious leaders are constantly coming at Jesus, attacking Jesus, trying to trap him and try to kill him. 
And then you've got Jesus, and, and he's praying, and he's going, God, would you remove this cup from me? And he sees the accusers come, and, and even when he goes, and he's taken off to this unjust trial that he's about to go through, and all these people are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How is that possible? How is that when you're going through a dark time, a trial where you're being unfairly accused of things, that you go, hey, just forgive them, God? I don't think I could do that. And then, of course, as Jesus is dying on the cross for the sins of the world, there's the, uh, there's the thief on his side, and he's like, hey, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus is like, I will remember you. Even in the most painful, darkest, hardest moment in Jesus' life, he's leading people to the Lord to know God as their father. And so here's the truth. Because he had been walking in wisdom, he had been steadfast all throughout his life, lacking in nothing. Jesus was the embodiment of wisdom, the perfect example to live life in a way that honors God. And so here's the hope for us as believers. If we've received Jesus into our life, here's the hope. The same spirit, that is the same spirit that is at work within us today. When we ask God for that wisdom, that same spirit that guided Jesus through the cross is at work guiding and directing us in our darkest moments as well. And because of that, because we have that spirit living inside of us, we can be steadfast. We have staying power, like we talked about last week. We have staying power in the midst of our trial. And we can be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. We can walk in faith in these trials because we have the wisdom of God. So that's the hope. If you lack it, believe it. Don't doubt. Believe that God will give you that wisdom and take that wisdom and move forward in your trial. But I will say just real quick to, all, to anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, who isn't following Jesus, listen, you can't claim these truths. The believers, the unbelievers, we will all hit trials. That's a promise. We all will face the trials. We get to hold on to more promise of having God with us. But listen, what I would say to the unbelievers, don't let that stop you. You will hit a trial. So stop facing it alone. Receive Jesus. Allow him to come into your life. Give you the wisdom to face your trials. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to take away all your trials and all your problems. Because guess what? You will have problems. You will have trials. And so we, if you don't know Jesus, the first step that you need to make is receiving Jesus into your heart and into your life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.